I was uh, in an idle moment, wondering how to address myself to this passage and uh, wondering what people think of evangelicals this week. So I thought I would do a little Google search. I don't know whether you know, uh, I'm sure you do, when you start typing in a sentence in, uh, in Google search, you find it will predict um, things ranked according to uh, uh, searches that other people have made. So I started typing in evangelicals are, and I got an amazing response. In this order was crazy, idiots, stupid, dangerous, not Christians, evil, Annoying, insane, wrong. Nothing else. So I thought, well, perhaps poor old evangelicals are uh, uh, the ones that everybody hates. Perhaps I'll be a little bit more neutral and I will type in, Christians are. And I got hypocrites, crazy, ranked two on uh, this one, one in the, in the evangelicals. Ignorant, like manure, Annoying, delusional, brainwashed, arrogant, hate-filled hypocrites. Mean. Um, I learned, actually, uh, this week that uh, in more than one poll, um, Christians come out as the third most hated group in the Western world. Do you know what the first two are? (laughs) I think they're a narrow fourth. Um, uh, number one um, tax inspectors is number two um, uh, serial killers is number one Okay, so we're more hated than bankers um, according to uh, various surveys now that really interests me because um, to be honest the average person who knows a Christian or in particular an evangelical Christian will say that they are very nice people um, uh, they will uh, often recognise that, that uh, Christians, especially active evangelical Christians, are involved in doing good. They will recognise the genuine good that those, uh, those people are do- doing in, uh, in, in our area. There's a vast number, for instance, of mums with small children who come to our mother and toddler group and speak very Um, loudly about how good it is and what quality it is and what nice people they are. I'm I'm getting people all the time telling me what wonderful mother and toddler uh, work we do, for instance. But those same people are absolutely convinced that well, these people must be unusual evangelicals because evangelicals in general are to be hated. Jesus, you see, warns that that's exactly the environment Christians in general can always expect to be in. That's what he's going to say um, uh, this week in John chapter 15. And he's going to explain to us why. If you've been uh, following John's Gospel, you'll remember 
that uh, from John chapter 12 onwards, Jesus is starting now to to, um, more privately instruct his disciples. John 13, um, remember, Jesus washed their feet, demonstrating both his ministry of practical care that he, as actually the ruler of the universe, was going to do for them. Finally doing it as he died on the cross for them. But also calling his followers to be involved in exactly that same kind of humble sacrificial service. In John 14, um, Jesus addresses their anxiety at his repeated warnings that he's going away. And he says, don't be scared, I will send you the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 15, the first half we looked at last week, you see Jesus then assuring them that they will be fruitful. I am the, I am the true vine, you are the branches, he says. You, you believers will be linked into me, sort of organically um, uh, linked into me as much as the, the, van- uh, the branches of a vine are linked into the vine and, and I will make you fruitful. Though he said it will be a painful experience, it will involve pruning. Our Heavenly Father, like a, like a, like a, a vine keeper, will um, uh, wield his secateurs, not to damage us, to, but to make us more fruitful. That's um, uh, where he had got to by John chapter 15, verse 17. But now, in verses 18 and following, we find that it's not only going to be actually God wielding his secretaries to make us more fruitful, we are going to have to learn to live in an environment actually where the world opposes us. Chapter 16, verse 1. Did you uh, notice it when Alex read it to us? All this I've told you so that you will not fall away, so that you won't be frightened and shocked and and walk away from your faith when opposition comes. You need to know in advance that the environment of Christians always has been and always will be one of opposition. Why? I mean, we can certainly say at the moment Jesus' words have come true, can't we? with that list uh, from, from Google. But why do Christians get hated so much? Well, let me, let, let me say, there are some pretty good reasons sometimes why the world hates Christians. And, and, and as Christians, we need, to, we need to own up about that. We can be rude sometimes. We can be boorish. We can be lacking in love. The accusation often against evangelical Christians is we are homophobic. And sometimes that is true. There is just a, just, just a, a, a hatred of others who, who don't want to live in the same way that Christians are called to live. And that, that, that is no badge of honour. It's far, far too often, in fact, that um, uh, Christians today are hated appropriately. I, I would go so far as to say as well, one of, it is a big problem at the moment... Christians engaging in the culture wars, the, the sort of constant determination to, to impose Christian morality on 
uh, our culture as a whole. Now, that is not to say that we don't have important things to say to our culture, but there is not a mandate in Scripture, as far as I can see, to force the world at large to live according to the way that Christians feel they must live. So Christians need to be cautious and modest and make sure that they are working for the common good and constantly question ourselves if we are to be involved in, in, in campaigning against things or for things that the population at large is not keen on. Too often, in fact, it feels more like Christians trying to negotiate for themselves a, an easier life rather than anything... Um, uh, for the common good. So, as we enter and look at this uh, passage, let, let's be honest and say, Christians can be hated for their own fault very often. But, says Jesus, there are plenty of reasons the world will hate you, which are actually simply bound up with being followers of me. We continue, he says, the ministry of Christ. Verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. We are followers of Jesus. He was hated. His ministry, though it gathered crowds at times of adoring disciples, ultimately led to vast crowds shouting for his crucifixion. And it led to his death. He was not a universally loved figure. In fact, he was a controversial figure. The Christians cannot expect to be anything else. If they hated me, well, you as my followers, you have to expect the same, he says. Verse 20, we are, we are uh, hated as well because we are his servants. Remember what I told you, he says. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And then a slightly more positive, if they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Christians are servants. They, they serve Jesus Christ. They emulate him in the world. And in doing so, some will come to obey him and follow his teaching. And others will decide that like him, we're the scum of the earth. Second century AD, there was a letter, an anonymous letter written to a man called Diognetus, a prominent Roman, to try to uh, explain about Christianity. And uh, he described what was going on in the second century. Um, he, he says, Christians, they obey the established laws, but in their own lives they go far beyond what the laws require. They love all men, and by all men are persecuted. They are unknown, and still they are condemned. They are put to death, and yet they, they are brought to life. They are poor and making many rich. They are completely destitute, yet they enjoy complete abundance. They are dishonoured, and in their very dishonour glorified. They are defamed and are vindicated. They are reviled, yet they bless. They, were, they are affronted, but they still pay due respect. When they do good, they are punished as evildoers. Undergoing punishment, they rejoice because they are brought to life. They are treated by the Jews as foreigners and enemies, and they are hunted down by the Greeks. And all the time, those who hate them find it impossible to justify 
their enmity. That was happening in the second century. Jesus says it, it is a characteristic of what it means to follow him even today. Don't be confused. To follow Jesus is to have a violently mixed response. Some will follow too. Others will persecute. The second reason that Jesus um, uh, sets out is that Christians will be hated because they bear witness to another realm. Do you see that? Verse 19, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. A long time ago, H.G. Wells wrote a little short story called The Country of the Blind. He described um, in this story a man sort of stumbling into a, um, a, a, a valley cut off from the rest of the world in which the people in it had become congenitally blind. They had adapted in their world to that blindness and they lived reasonably successfully. But he, as someone could, who could see, had an immediate advantage over them. At first they were amazed at his supernatural gift. But slowly they became threatened by it. Indeed they came to pity him. But he seemed to be, he, he seemed to be possessed of a certain madness. And eventually they realised that that madness seemed to be associated with two peculiar organs that he had on the front of his face. They resolved that there was only one thing to do to uh, cure him of his madness. To cut those organs out. Wells was, 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 was writing an allegory about how threatening it is for people if someone sees more, if someone claims to come from a different realm and to see the world in a different way. Human reaction, a natural human reaction is, in some way, is to become threatened and even violently opposed to it. So Jesus says, don't be surprised. I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. As followers of Jesus, it must result in the world hating, bearing witness to another realm. It must result in the world hating Jesus' followers. And we bear witness to another standard as well. Verse 22, if I'd not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin, he's saying. In other words, he came, and uh, you only need to, need to read Jesus in the Gospels, he spoke with the most penetrating moral clarity. He cut to the heart of matters, and it was that standard that he set forward that was undeniably right and just that made some turn violently against him. Well, Jesus is saying, can you expect to be any different? 
I, I, I remember a friend um, who worked in a, in, a, in a factory, a little factory near, nearby, um, worked with a, um, uh, a lot of ordinary blokes. They were astonished that he didn't sleep with his girlfriend. They mocked him mercilessly, morning, noon and night. And he just had to endure it. All sorts of accusations about his sexuality. Interestingly, as a result of him standing with integrity and witnessing to that different standard, eventually his workmates invited me to come and explain what Christianity was about. Because they were so amazed. But in the meantime, he had borne a great price. Christians cannot escape the fact they live by a different standard. And people feel threatened by that. They accuse Christians of hypocrites. It was one of the top things. And to be fair, there is hypocrisy in Christianity as everywhere else. They accuse Christians of being evil. And to be fair, there is wickedness amongst some Christians. But in the end, an awful lot of that is because there is just a different standard for which Christians must live by. And that's threatening. More than that, we bear witness, says Jesus, to the uniqueness of who he is. Do you notice that in verse 24? If I would not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But as it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. In other words, you see, an essential element of his ministry is that it is unique. He's not just another religious teacher who um, happens to have turned up, who they can take or leave. From the beginning to the end of his ministry, he was unique. And therefore, he calls people to an absolute choice. He's not saying, well, there's all these religious teachers and you must choose the best one that you, uh, that you can. He's saying, I, in myself, am unique. I do things that no one else before or since has ever done. I make claims about myself that no one else before or since ever has done. That I am the Son of God, that I am God incarnate. I will finally die on the cross so that in me God pays for the sins of the world. Something that no one else before or since has ever even claimed that they do, let alone give evidence that they do. I do work that no one else has ever done. And that divides people. We cannot avoid it. Indeed that, in this passage, is the central work of the Holy Spirit. It seems, um, um, verses 26 and 27 comes back to this witness to the uniqueness of Jesus. When the Advocate comes, I will send you the Father the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father and he will testify about me. And then then what does the Holy Spirit um, do? He enables us in turn to testify. You also must testify for you have been with me from the beginning. The, um, uh, The Holy Spirit then bears witness to the uniqueness of 
Jesus first to believers and then that must overflow in their witness to the uniqueness of Jesus in the world. And that, says Jesus, will divide people. More than that, verse 25, he says, expect the world to hate because the scriptures always fulfilled, uh, always um, uh, predicted it. This was to fulfill what was written in their law. They hated me without reason. It's interesting that he says their law there, the, the, the Jews' law. I think what he's trying to emphasise is that these people um, in, in his day who are opposing him, if only they'd reflected on the scriptures, they would see that people have always hated God and God's people without reason. But they didn't reflect. They just hated. Indeed, says Jesus, ultimately, this hatred is a symptom of a wider hatred of God. Verse 23, whoever hates me hates my father as well. And then the second half of verse 24, they have hated both me and my father. He leaves no wiggle room. I will be hated, he says, and you will be too. I will be hated because I bear witness to another realm and you will be because you do. Because I bear witness to another standard and you will do because you must. Because I bear witness to my uniqueness and you will too because you must do so. It was always predicted in Scripture, so it will happen to you. Because in the end, people are divided between those who love God and therefore love me, and who hate God and show it by hating me. It, 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 is, it is painful, it is stark, it is, it is black and white. It is absolutely clear. And Jesus says, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this with such clarity because I know it's going to be tough. I know for you believers that you could fall away when these realities start kicking in. All this I've told you so that you will not Fall away, he says in chapter 16, verse 1. And then again in verse 4, I have told you this, so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. So, so every one of us who's a Christian here, that's a reality that needs to settle in our hearts. We need to fear lest we are hated by the world for good reason because as fallen, sinful human beings we can be. Jesus is not justifying that. But we cannot avoid if we are bearing witness to Jesus facing opposition. It is one of the great moral challenges of Christians to continue loving their world as the world hates them. It's one of the great works of the Holy Spirit that needs to happen in our hearts. 
one uh, sociologist has described it, actually he's not a, not a Christian, a man called Peter Berger, has described it as Christians are against the world for the world. That is, they stand up and say something different and it feels confrontational. But they're doing it, the true Christian, Christians at least, they're doing it not, not for any other reason than they love this world. They are doing it for the world. That is our calling. That needs a work of the Spirit in our lives. If we are to live lives that are not defensive, not obnoxious, not uh, difficult, but actually consistently loving towards those who set themselves up as our enemies. And make no mistake about it, there, there will be such. We um, have a man um, down near the, the, the church who um, has periodically set out to, to campaign against the church meeting in, the, in a school. And uh, one of his more virulent campaigns, he was, he was sticking leaflets on all the windows, windscreens of the car, uh, uh, cars at, at there. I went out to, um, to speak to him, and uh, I, I know him moderately well, and I said, look, I, I, let's talk about it. I don't want to be your enemy. He said, no, if you're a Christian, you are my enemy. Shocking, actually. But that was what was going on in his heart. We must love those people. Not be defensive. But love them. And for those who are considering being Christians, or wondering, counting the cost, let me say it is a significant cost. It's not the way to be on best terms with the world in one sense. Always you will find people, as numbers of my friends do, people thinking, well, they think, well, Peter's perfectly nice, I quite like him, I invite him round to dinner. But he's an evangelical. That must mean that there's something really dodgy going on behind the scenes. That is the world we live in. The writer of the Hebrews put it like this. Let us run the, ra- the, the, the run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. It is worth it. If you are counting the cost, if you are wondering whether you want to follow Jesus, it is worth it. He is absolutely unique, extraordinary. The claims he makes will revolutionise your life. It is worth the shame. It is worth the opposition. It is worth people crossing the street and avoiding you because you are a follower of Jesus. But we must be prepared for that to happen. Jesus left us with no alternative. Not surprising, to Jesus at least, that when I type in Christians are, 
I get that extraordinary set of possible words.